My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On The Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On The Page. And joining me as podcast producer is my hubby, Pat Francis. How are you? Hello. Hello. Can hubby. I call you hubby from now on? Uh, if, is there a, then what's the, is, then, then it's wifey and hubby, is that what it is? Okay, maybe not. Are you wibby? Very good. Yeah, okay. No, I changed no, my mind. No, that wouldn't be right. I changed my mind. Let's jump yeah. to our guests. <laughs> wow, that's it for me? Wow, that's quick. We'll talk after. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> we don't want to bore people for too long. This is our date date day. It's 2013. I'm jumping to the guests. Right. I'm just it's a new a new approach to the podcast because we have two amazing po- podcast guests here. We've got Hillary Scarl. Hello. Hello, Pilar. Thanks for having me. Oh, that is a good voice, Hillary. Thank you. It's my um, podcast voice. <laughs> <laughs> we were making her say sweaty balls before sweaty balls. before we started. Well, I didn't even have a chance to use my podcast voice. That's true. You will. Right. We'll let you talk. And also, Tobias Forrest, a.k.a. Toby Forrest. Hello. Hello. Thank you, hubby and wifey, for having me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to give a little of your bios here, and then we're going to jump into it. Um, let's start with you, Toby. Uh, Toby is an actor and a musician and also... Uh, a writer because you were just saying that you just completed a screenplay as mm-hmm. well um, and uh, if you want to see Toby you can see him right now in the sessions which actually we're seeing tonight Toby yes. I'm, I'm so, so proud of you I'm guys I'm so sorry we haven't seen it earlier you know it was just it, we we have a real chance to see it tonight and we made a date to do it and timing's off yeah. but I can't wait to see you in that well as someone that loves writing you're going to enjoy the film yeah it's I've heard I've heard it's, it's amazing and then um, also you've been an actor in movies like uh, My Next Breath which is filming right now uh, Pie Head A Kind of True Story um, The Defenders which is uh, on TV Weeds um, and and other you've got you know you've been you've been acting for a while how many years have you been acting? Well seriously the past five years okay. but uh, really when I moved out to Los Angeles about nine years ago mm-hmm. And my first, one of my first experiences, I had no acting experience at all, um, was being told about a scholarship, a Christopher Reeve acting scholarship for performers with disabilities. Someone said, you should go and, and try out for this. I said, I don't have any acting, acting experience. But I had written a monologue about an old man with Alzheimer's uh, when I was getting my master's in psychology. Mm-hmm. So I brought that monologue, and then I ended up winning and I got like $5,000 in three minutes, and I said, I think I can do this. That's awesome. <laughs> Toby's really good. You, yeah. You've always had that sort of natural yeah. talent. I think yes. you've got a humility. So. I will do whatever doesn't pay me. <laughs> and 
<laughs> but acting has actually paid me, so I appreciate it. It's, it's a good good choice for anyone with a disability to go out there and change the uh, the landscape of the media. I'm going to introduce Hillary, and then we're going to talk a little bit about being an actor with disabilities, and also we're going to talk about um, and and writing for characters with disabilities, and also we're going to talk about writing for deaf actors as well. Um, because let me read you Hillary's bio. Um, Hillary Scarl is a director, producer, writer, and performer, and she specializes in comedy, documentaries, and working with kids, which is good. I've got a couple of kids that I would like you to work with. Um, and like then um, her most impressive accomplishments include directing the award-winning feature See What I'm Saying, which is a documentary feature. It's a documentary. And um, it, she was also featured on Steven Spielberg's On the Lot, and we were asking her all kinds of in inside questions before this started. She produced TV segments for CBS, TLC, Court TV, and the History Channel, and she performed with the Tony Award-winning National Theater of the Deaf. Um, and the script that I just got to read and work with you on and that you are in the process of producing. Um, tell everybody the title of that and what that's about. Hank and Larry has been birthed into this world thanks to Pilar. Uh, it's a buddy road trip comedy that features both deaf and hearing actors as the lead roles. It's a Christmas comedy and we're doing a live event next Saturday, January 26, 2013 here in Los Angeles. We're doing uh, flying in some of the best deaf actors from all over the world to come in for a staged reading to be partner with uh, some phenomenal hearing actors here in Los Angeles. That's and, cool. And her Kickstarter yes. campaign just we made just its goal today, today, like 10 minutes ago. Yes. Which is <laughs> terrific. I just got to watch it change on, on the computer. Like, there it goes. Yes. So yeah, you get your stressful. money. It's so stressful. You know, it's like, okay, now I can go back and focus on my script. I can focus on the project. And we should mention a Kickstarter campaign just to fly them in. That's just the beginning. Just to fly in the actors so that for the stage reading. Well, the whole goal is to finish the script and get it in a place where we can actually uh, now attend Attach production company and casting and financing and so we're now we're in the fun <clears throat> part of the project of actually getting it off the ground to try to get it into pre-production in the next 18 months so you have you have a project that focuses on several deaf characters including a whole town and uh and <laughs> oh you gave my twist away i know there. i'm sorry and it integrates it integrates deaf characters seamlessly into it it's just part of the story it isn't the story it's just part of the story and and toby you've been playing characters who happen to be in wheelchairs for a couple of years as well. So I want to talk about about how to, first of all, how to avoid stereotype, um, especially for writers out there who are writing characters that have specific disabilities. What are you sick of seeing? Well, for me, it's paraplegics because I can't play a paraplegic that well. I'm a quadriplegic. <laughs> so I'm always like, oh, it's not really just about not walking for your character. You know, there's so many different layers to it. Mm -hmm. um, I've been very fortunate, I think, on a lot of levels because some of the projects that I've had, like The Defenders, was not written specifically for a guy in wheelchair. Mm -hmm. It was arson specialist. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, they just said, hey, couldn't this guy also be in a wheelchair? I mean, what's the big deal? That wasn't even part of the story. I just happened to be an arson specialist. Now, is that your preference? Would you 
prefer to just play any kind of character versus the character that has been relegated to guy in wheelchair? Uh, I think ultimately it's what serves the story, what serves the script. Sometimes, you know, guy in wheelchair really does serve the story. Like, born on the 4th of July, you know, how can he not... Mm-hmm. How can that not be such an integral part of the story? Right. Um, however, I whenever I audition for something, I always say, you know, I can play guy in wheelchair, but I can also play guy in bed with beautiful women. <laughs> <laughs> well, work okay, everybody. Start writing something right, right. now. Right now. Um, I mean, I throw. He's a hot guy. So, I give. Know, I second that. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. I give away some of my best ideas. I mean, I've told Hillary before. I said, you know, my dream is to see a movie that has nothing to do with disability, and then in the closing credits, you find out that all of these characters had disabilities. The girl behind the counter was in a wheelchair. You just didn't know it. And the guy crossing the street was blind, but you just didn't know it until the closing credits. And then that would be the catalyst for going, oh my God, I can think outside the box now. Now, does it take a creative casting director to do this? Or should the writer be be integrating this themselves? Ultimately, it starts with the writing. Okay. I think, you know, you, you aim for the stars to hit the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And if you can write characters and say, oh, it just happens to be in a wheelchair, just happens to be deaf, just happens to be blind, then that's one step closer to a casting director saying, let me try and be as accurate with this as possible. Mm -hmm. And then a producer saying, uh, we might be able to make some money off this. Mm -hmm. So let's totally exploit people with disabilities. Um, (laughs) Why not? You know, why why shouldn't you guys be exploited along with everybody else? I try to exploit myself constantly. Good, good, good. And I think people are nervous where I know a lot of um, professional actors who are deaf who have agents and managers sometimes you know everyone's trying to get in that door and if they feel like they're pushing a deaf actor for mainstream roles too much they're afraid like oh you're pushing your agenda rather than this is a phenomenal actor who happens to be deaf Mm -hmm. and so like Toby said if it's already in the script I think it's kind of uh, helps people to realize like oh great I can submit a handful of people who I happen to have or know of because they're out there and there are some absolutely tremendous actors who have a harder time getting a break because yeah. of fear because of stereotypes or ignorance which is why I wrote the script because I happen to know and have access to about a dozen actors who in my mind are Oscar award worthy winning actors who people just haven't known yet haven't seen yet and it's like how lucky am I to get to put them in a film where I know they're going to explode off the screen Mm -hmm. and people are going to be like holy cow you know where have these people been I'm like they've been here all along it's just People also, don't think they're relevant. You had mentioned that that you listened to a panel and there was a little person on there who was talking about the fact that when you ca- you cast me in a role uh, that's just a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, I'm now bringing something way more interesting into that role just by being there. Right? It 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 does what char- what writers always want, which is to take characters that we've seen a million times and actually give them something fresh. That was actually on Toby's panel at the um, the WGA. It's my really good friend and amazing actor. He, his name is Mark Povinelli. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's phenomenal because 
he doesn't just limit himself to that. I mean, we were joking, and I said, you know, I think writers should just write more roles for people in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, my headshot is of me in a wheelchair, just so you know. <laughs> and I said, well, my headshot is of me dressed as an elf. So <laughs> I think I'm going to get the part. <laughs> but I'd love it. I mean, really, this this goes to... Casting people that are also of a different ethnicity than you usually see, or a different gender than you usually see, they bring the experience of that ethnicity, gender, how people look at them into a scene, and suddenly it gives it a different depth. I mean, I always tell, I always say, you know, I'm, I'm saving your prop master a job <laughs> because he doesn't have to go out and find a wheelchair now. I'm going to bring my own, <laughs> and. Um, I think that Hillary's right. There's a lot of fear. I, th- I can understand the fear from a, a producer's um, viewpoint because one, you're going, you automatically attach a dollar sign mm-hmm. to, oh, I'm going to need an interpreter mm-hmm. now. Uh, oh, I'm going to have to modify my set to make it wheelchair accessible. What if somebody gets hurt? And you know, how can I tell a blind actor how to go from point A to point B? Um, I can understand that, and I and I don't always agree that just because the character has a disability that a performer with a disability should be cast. I don't believe that at all, um, because ultimately you want the best person for the job. I don't want a surgeon that looks a certain way just because there's not enough surgeons that look like that. You know, I want the surgeon that has had the years of experience and training and has really built up that skill set to portray this character as an actor. I want, uh, you know, if I were a producer, I'd say, you know, I want a well-trained seasoned actor that can bring the emotional content of this story to life. Now, if they happen to be a performer with a disability, even better. Mm-hmm but I can understand um, why there's a lot of trepidation. But at the same time, shouldn't there be sets that are wheelchair accessible? Aren't aren't they all? I mean, (laughs) cameras are on wheels. So uh, they're not fooling anyone. (laughs) And as far as the blind actor goes, if the the blind actor was able to get to the audition and then get to the set, I think he can get from point A to point B. Right, right. And there's tons of consultants in this town that specialize in that, that Mm -hmm. hold producers' hands to say, here, that's that's my professional job. You know, like when they did Ray, they had blind consultants who come in, you Mm -hmm. know, to really show this is how it's done. And same thing right now on the TV show Switched at Birth, they have deaf actors working behind the scenes with the writers. I just talked to an interpreter this morning who said, do you not think that writers are stealing all my best stuff because <laughs> they would be off eavesdropping and be like wait whoa whoa you know and they'd be picking up side chatter on set and you know so tell me more about this story or this wow. circumstance and it shows in the sh- on the TV show because there's a certain element of authenticity that's been going on because of people's life experiences being able to bleed into the script bleed in the writing that I think it's sometimes hard for an outsider I mean, even though I'm technically an outsider that, you know, I'm hearing, I'm Mm able-bodied, but I've been involved in the deaf community for over 20 years, and I'm fluent in sign language, and I absolutely love working with uh, deaf and disabled actors. 
I mean, the good thing is that 80% of the population will at one point become disabled. So it's really you're just waiting in line to join this wonderful community of people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had see Pilar's face I was right now. Like, I know. Wait, what? Oh, I guess in a way, yeah. <laughs> 20% of the population has a disability. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, only 0.5% of what we see in the media uh, represents people with disabilities. I think it was point oh five percent. It's teeny it's tiny, tiny, teeny, teeny, tiny. So percent. let's let's go back to this idea of stereotype then, because we didn't really hit it. If uh, you are, let's say that a, a writer has decided, you know what, I am going to focus on uh, a person in a wheelchair as my main character, or a uh, deaf person as my main character. What would you like to beg them to avoid? Uh, I think, well, for me, because speaking as somebody with uh, experience in the deaf community, the one thing that seems to be a tired storyline is hearing writers wanting to have a deaf character that is frustrated they can't hear and then magically can hear or they can hear and then they're oh they lost their hearing and oh now it's sad and and so many members of the deaf community it's it's a it's a cultural aspect of who they are they don't consider themselves disabled it's just like saying well having blue eyes is better than brown eyes and oh shouldn't everyone have blue eyes mm-hmm. uh, and there's a certain matter of factness about being deaf that they would like to see reflected more in the media so it's either I also I hear which we mentioned in um, see what I'm saying our documentary that there was an actor saying I always see two stereotypes of deaf actors either it's the angry deaf guy you know who ends up being a murderer because he went crazy because he's deaf you know or the oh the poor pitiful deaf guy who needs help and they did a film called my bodyguard where this really good looking strapping actor anthony natale needed a female hearing bodyguard and he's like well look at me mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i don't need a bodyguard right. and so you have people who need to take care of them Mm-hmm. Or you have a love interest, but it's usually I wish you could speak like me. I wish you could be like me. Yeah, that, that sounds like so, a familiar right. movie. Instead so. of deaf uh, people going, I wish you could sign like me. I wish you could make my world accessible and see how fantastic my world is. So we're looking to go see an Ocean's Eleven or a Bridesmaids, where just one of those characters has a disability, and it's not a big deal. Right, right, right. That's what we're looking for. Right, because which, which it does make I've sense solved in the an problem. Ensemble of characters. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, because deaf people are neighbors and yep. CEOs mm-hmm. and sisters and fathers and grandchildren and appear in everyday life. And what would be great in something like an Ocean's Eleven uh, to use that disability as maybe an ability. Uh, the, right. You know what I mean? A skill. A skill. Absolutely. That's what I meant. So, so, and and that's. Except for the fact that a lot of deaf people mention that, oh, all of a sudden, every deaf person on screen has amazing lip reading skills. Well, We're talking and about that. Yes. Magical right. ability to get everything you're saying. Right. Never right. mind that lip reading, even the, among the best, averages about 70%. Right. And a lot just, of it's just filling in the blanks. I use ventriloquism when I'm around my deaf friends. <laughs> I just like to throw them for a curve. Sure, why not? Why not? Uh, but I was, I was telling, I have a number of... of friends that are deaf and I always tell them I say you're so lucky because 
you can have a conversation across the room. <laughs> you can be, I mean, I sing in a band, so I'm constantly in loud places. And you can, if you're deaf, you can say the most intimate things in the middle of a rock concert. Oh, yeah, we can chat right through your session. Right. Just sitting next to now, the Now, the flip side of the coin is that amplifiers. you have to basically require on an interpreter when, when some of the other times when you're dealing with the hearing community. Mm-hmm. And... I'm sure there must be some frustration to go, I'm so much funnier than what this person is trying to portray to me. Right. Right? Yeah, I would imagine because of the, the sort of that lost in translation yeah. kind of mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But also as far as like hiring people for the set, um, you know, if you're a kid, you have to have a tutor there. Right. You have to have uh, a, dial- a dialogue coach who's like, you know, walking the kid in between schools. Or if you're in a boxing you know? movie, a boxing coach. Exactly. Singer. Check this out. If, if the production, uh, the PAs, everyone on the set could speak sign language, mm-hmm. it would eliminate that whole shh. Right. You know, shh. Like, it's like, we're about to... Oh, wait, can you cue people right. as the camera's rolling? Right. I right. can have a full conversation. Actually, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I was telling great. Hillary about our school that the kids go, go to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Chime charter school, and it integrates hugely successfully um, uh, special needs kids into whether, the, just you know, into the classroom whether yeah. it's sort of you know physically or emotionally and yeah there's absolutely no separation and it's it's great so the kids actually in order to communicate with the teacher all of the kids uh, use sign language so when they have to say that they have to go to the bathroom or they want to see the book better yeah. or you know um, they have a question or a comment they have to sign to the teacher and it actually makes for a way more peaceful classroom right. and actual communication between students and, it's a and, phenomenal language I yeah. mean, not just uh, to foster communication but sign language now is the third most used language in this country it's kind of slipping into fourth um, but Still, there's a lot of people who sign, and it's useful. Besides, in the deaf community, you think you can sign underwater when you're diving. Oh, yeah, um, astronauts true. can use signs. You know, I know that they've incorporated some sign language. People who are ill sometimes and can't speak, they've yeah. taught them how to sign. Um, you know, there's a lot of practical uses, but more than that, it enables this country's 30 million deaf and hard of hearing people access to communication um, along with captions you know it's it's those two things are pretty important to the community and Toby still going back to what let's go back to stereotype because I'm I again I know these I know writers out there are it's it's something that they struggle with with every single characters you know the the stereotype of a mom the stereotype of a kid so again going to now for what you would you wish you would see less of on screen when it does come to portraying uh, a, a disabled character on screen. Uh, well, for me, I mean, the closest thing that hits to home is that it's constantly, you know, about this character that can't walk. And, I, th- you know, mm-hmm. I haven't walked for many years and it's slightly overrated. <laughs> um, and, you know, it always comes down to this hero uh, villain type thing mm-hmm. as opposed to just a plain old person mm-hmm. and really um, I think like like you guys were saying earlier that if if that character just happens to be 
disabled. Mm-hmm. Like with my band, we don't sing "Hiney," you know, "Shiny Happy," <laughs> "Wheelchair," you know, "Life Is Wonderful" songs. We like our rock band, mm-hmm. and it has nothing to do with disability. Mm-hmm. It's just four other guys who happen to look beyond the fact that I'm in a wheelchair and mm-hmm. will lift me onto a stage and are way more supportive of the fact that I'm talented than any type of a gimmick. Right. And right. so I think it's so easy from a writer's perspective to go, oh, let me go for the joke or let me go for the gimmick or let me go for the stereotype um, as opposed to like the station agent with Peter Dinklage mm-hmm. where... You know, he's a little person, but that's not what everything is about. Yeah, I, that was a great movie, and it was yeah. just, you know, yeah. <laughs> your Dinklage is so good at playing people in a bad mood. You notice that? <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> so that's so, so it's, it's even the idea of always focusing on the disability itself, whether it's the need to hear or the need to walk, is in itself a stereotype because it always says, like, oh, this is something somebody needs to improve upon instead of this is, this is just their life. So let's stop talk, stop telling stories about it. Well, right? and you're also trapped into generalizations. Mm. I mean, the reality is is that every single person, disability or not, is a snowflake and is as unique as they are. Mm. And so you can take a, another C5 quadriplegic like myself, and we've got different skills, different abilities, different um, disadvantages, different advantages. Uh, same thing with the deaf community or any other disabled community. There's no just one answer there's no one type mm-hmm. which is why people really need to do their homework mm-hmm. you need I, I say what's your experience so people are like oh i hung out with a deaf guy you know for a few hours so i get it and so like, mm, no you don't I could, uh, no it's <laughs> like it's like i would not feel qualified right now to go into compton and feel like oh yeah i know your story mm-hmm. can i guess their story or imagine it sure mm-hmm. but i would probably say well let me partner or talk to or really immerse myself into this community so i feel like let me let me find the stories that really matter mm-hmm. and that reflect the the real reality of the community because it does show it's it's interesting that a, a lot of um, a lot of artists in the deaf community. Are, anytime they see a deaf actor portrayed on screen or television, they always hold their breath, and it's because so many times they get misrepresented and feel like I don't know anybody really like that, mm-hmm. or it's it's the same old, same old, and said you know I, I've never seen anyone that looks like me up on screen. Mm-hmm. Is usually it, you know. I've never seen just, just me, just the guy who uses sign language, yeah. and you know, there's funny, people, funny deaf people, and angry deaf people, and uh, clever and smart and successful and poor and uneducated. You know, the whole gamut of the human experience is reflected. You know, just the fact that their deaf adds one more element on top of that's it. That's what we uh, that's what we like about our daughter's school is since these uh, everyone's integrated into the same class, it's not a big deal for them. If you say who's that person, they say that's Billy. They don't say that's Billy in a wheelchair or whatever. It's a, yeah. They it, just say, oh, that's Billy. And it actually took especially when they were little it would take them a couple weeks to even realize there was anything different yes and they'd be like you know oh michael is so funny he's he's just always smiling and guess what he gets to he gets to learn about letters through these pictures that they give him you know i want to do that too and they never it doesn't even occur to them that that makes them different they just think that's cool yeah you know and it's really interesting to watch it is pat and i you know growing up in 
you know the decades that we grew up in I know. it certainly was not like that absolutely no, no. no it taught all. us a lot and I you know going back to the writing thing I think if a writer is going to make this uh, you know a disability such an arc of the story that it really requires the same dedication as if you were writing a historical figure hmm. and you know that amount of research to not just assume what what was Lincoln like but to really have to go back and research it and find out every possible nook and cranny of this person um, that you want to bring to life. And the same thing, I think, would apply to uh, writing a character with a disability, mm -hmm. is that you have to do the research. And while the writer should do the research, so should the producer, and ultimately the actor. Mm -hmm. I think way too many actors don't they don't do that. They don't do the research. I mean, if you get the job of guy in wheelchair or, you know, person that's deaf, it's your responsibility to learn as much as you can about that character, about that community, and then represent it the, the best way that you could. That's true. That's true. I, th I, like, I like that analogy, like comparing it with a historical character that makes a lot of sense well, what did what did you like about working on the sessions tell me about your response to that script it was for me it was a beautiful beautiful process because I saw the script in its infancy before anything um, before it had really gotten picked up I mean they brought me in and and interviewed me um, for the lead character and I there's no way I could do that. It's my first film um, but I fell in love with the script right away I said wow this is going to be something special and then I met the director Ben Lewin and he was phenomenal and amazing and has polio so he had the experience to be able to write a character that um, is a real person a historical figure mm -hmm. and do his best to, to portray it on the page and then bring it to life through the casting and I mean he casted an amazing actor John Hawks who I mean if you don't know who he is you're going to know because mm -hmm. you've seen him in a bunch of things and he's uh, one of the most amazing actors of our time I think and he his first thing that John asked was am I taking this role from somebody else that has a disability because I don't want to take a job from somebody mm -hmm. and um, you know the reality is he has the skill set, the look, the ability to bring this film to life, mm -hmm. which he did an amazing job of. So, And I got lucky that they said, hey, let's write a character in for you. Oh, that's great. That is a pot-smoking oral sex expert. <laughs> really? How nice that they knew you so well. Art that's, imitates that's life. Wow, wow. I'm still researching the role. <laughs> Pat, you're not allowed to help with this. <laughs> you said you saw the script in, in its infancy. So uh, as somebody who's also a writer, what changes did you start seeing in the script? Uh, my character got added, which was great. I was happy to see that. Um, and there was certain things that were taken out. There was a lot of like dream sequences that were sort of lended to the comedy of it uh -huh. that didn't make it into the final cut, uh, which I understand why now, because uh, it really wanted to be a sincere um, story. It yeah. wanted to be a sincere portrayal. And to have too many dream sequences that were funny yeah. took some of the heart out of it. And also, sometimes the 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 reality of 
of what's going on is effective enough. You don't need to sort of go into the what ifs of a dream or the subtext a dream reveals mm-hmm. because it's there, right there in the scene. And it kind of, it, it's a it's a cheat sometimes. Right. Yeah. I, I'm all for the get rid of the dream sequence. The, the yeah. other beautiful thing about the sessions is that uh, I mean, Ben is closer to 70 than he is to 60. Mm. And to, to say, you know, you can never, it's never too late mm-hmm. to create a masterpiece mm-hmm. and to, to, to do this craft that you love, to do this art form, which is an amazing opportunity to be a part of. Um, it inspired me to go, why am I waiting for other people to write roles for me? Yeah. Why don't I start to write some things for myself? That's why I wrote Hank and Larry. I looked right. for three years for my next script to direct to plug in one or two of uh, deaf actors that I really want. I knew could carry a film. Couldn't find it. And I same thing. I said, you know what? I'm a writer. I've written 18 short films and, you know, with one featured documentary under my belt, I felt the confidence and under your tutelage <laughs> was able to get through the script and I'm really proud of it. And now you actually, should be. I'm, I'm really proud of it too. Thank I love it. Yeah. That mean that means so much because it's it, it it truly is a passion project. But at the same time, I do have my producer hat on, where I know my audience. I know I need, I want it to cross over to mainstream audience, which I know it will. It's the same thing with see what I'm saying. I came up with a lot of obstacles, and people say, "Well, is this going to be for a deaf audience or a hearing audience?" I was like, "It's going to be for an audience." <laughs> <laughs> you know, people are people. Like some people like rock, some people like ballet. It's like if you like documentaries, yeah, uh, but. I also know that I had a niche following of millions and millions of sign language students who are starved to see films in sign language, let alone the deaf community who wants to see quality material, you know, in their language. Um, but it's interesting um, from some of the research that I've been doing uh, that the deaf community, right now they're doing a whole bunch of studies about the Latino Hispanic community because it's the fastest growing movie going population I believe mm-hmm. and they were asking like do you want to see Latino based films and characters and they said we want to see great films right? and it's a plus and a bonus when it does have somebody that reflects us in our language and our culture but we just want to see a great movies right it, it, it's very hard I mean I, I always have the same beef with something called a woman's film you know exactly. what I mean wouldn't it just be nice if there was just like all kinds of women who are the leads in movies which is starting now I mean you know Zero Dark Dark Thirty is a great example of it directed by a great director a great director who happens, who happens to be a to woman be and happens to have not be nominated for an Academy Award, but that's another podcast. But but the 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 thing is that it, you know, what was I going to say? I got on a, on my soapbox. Oh well, I thanks. <laughs> I that's because you're a little person, so you have to get up on your soapbox so we can see you. Oh, I did think of I, I thought of one thing to add when you were asking what to because Toby was talking about casting able-bodied people uh-huh. and disabled characters. Yeah. Uh, I can't speak to the disability community, but I know for the deaf community, that's a big, huge no-no mm-hmm. to cast hearing actors in deaf roles. Uh. And projects I know have actually been boycotted and either completely fall by the wayside or the producers 
see the light and they end up casting a deaf actor and then say you know what this is so much better than it could have been with a hearing actor and there's a multitude of reasons besides taking a role away from a deaf actor a qualified talented deaf actor who is a good casting choice there's a certain level of authenticity Sure. To the role that hearing actors, including myself, would not be able to bring. Uh, not just signing skills, uh, just like any other language, you would have a hearing accent. Right. And you can tell, you can see it, but it's also the mannerisms and, and a certain degree of realism that the actors can't bring. And the deaf community, you know, will go so far as to launch... A, a boycott against you, you wouldn't have a, a portrayal of an Afri- African American character with a white person in blackface, and that's exactly yeah. what yeah that they liken it to. Unless you went to Tropic Thunder, or shocking, I gotta say, Johnny Depp is playing Tonto in the Lone Ranger movie. Yeah, well, I think I, I wonder about that. Yes. I wonder if I know. are gonna say something. Well, I don't know because part of it I totally agree with. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the, the talent pool is shallow because uh, not a lot of people are given the opportunity to build their resume, to build their experiences. So I always say, hey, if you're going to throw a major character to a, an able-bodied actor mm-hmm. that is supposed to be a disabled character, well, uh, why don't you at least take some of these lesser parts and give those to performers with disabilities so they're able to now build up their level of skill, to build up their resume, to get to a point where you, you don't have to just go, oh, well, let me get this person because they're going to bring more people into the box office. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from a casting perspective, if you had to cast a blind black guy in a wheelchair, what then becomes the most important Part, you know, I mean, there's very few blind black actors in wheelchairs, and if any, and could they really pull off that character? Do they have the ability as an actor? Right. Um, and now, what becomes the most important thing? That they're blind, that they're black, that they're in a wheelchair, or that they can act? Toby, don't you also think, though, that the community's biggest beef is did you look did you try right sure i think it's like did you because I, I remember when abigail breslin got cast on broadway and um helen mm-hmm. keller it was like the deaf community was up in arms outside the theater and said we're not here because you cast her she's great she's a star we get that but the fact that you didn't look you didn't look in our community for somebody you know where you might have found somebody who was national theater for the deaf you've got you've got a huge casting pool right there just to start there right well the company now is unfortunately um suffering a lot of financial challenges Mm -hmm. it has been for several years even deaf west here in los angeles is suffering a lot so the um there's not as many training grounds as there used to be for deaf actors but there's the good news is that there's more film and TV uh, and Broadway shows and roles that feature deaf actors and now people are starting to be like hey that's kind of fun and that's kind of hip and that's kind of great you know to have there's a show running in New York called Tribes right Mm -hmm. now with uh, Russell Harvard who's been fantastic Um, there was another show featuring uh, Howie Siegel at the public theater Mm -hmm. but on TV was switched at birth and all sorts of films I actually had um, at the end to see what I'm saying over my closing credits a montage of over 50 deaf actors who've been film television and Broadway you're like oh yeah Tyrone from Family Stone that guy oh yeah Mr. Holland 
Collins Opus. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that one character, that one character, that one character, and connecting the dots to be like, I never really thought of it that way. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, in regards to as an actor who has gone out for several auditions that say guy in wheelchair, <laughs> you always wonder, did they see me just to say that they saw me? Yeah. And then they went with somebody else. I think I think you've got conspiracy stuff in your head. I would say they saw you because they know you're talented. Sometimes that's what you think happens, right? <laughs> but just, that goes with the insecurity of every artist. Sure. You know, like wait a second, did they just do it because blah blah blah? You know, and it's I've had insane auditions where they go, we want a Stephen Hawking uh, type guy that can do wheelies, <laughs> and I'm like. There's no Stephen Hawking is not doing wheelies. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, so you know, do the research, really. I want to thank you guys so much for being here today. I want to make sure that we plug everything that we can so that people can can see your stuff, um, help help fund your stuff, Hillary. Hank and Larry, thank so let's you. let's talk first about Hank and Larry and how people can contribute money to it, and because there's going to be more more fundraising that goes on with it. We've got 24 hours left. Uh, if people want to donate funds to get some great incentives, unfortunately, by the time this this comes out, it's going to come out a week from today. Ah, that won't be there. Well, then here's what you can do: you can go to my personal website, hillarysarl.com, which mm-hmm. is H-I-L-A-R-I Scarl S-C-A-R-L.com, and I've got links on there. Mm-hmm. And you can also check out see what I'm saying movie.com, and um, it's available on Netflix, on Amazon, and our website and we still, after two years, have been uh, still doing some theatrical events. And, uh, and it's a beautiful film. Thank you, Toby. Yes, I love it. And I love Hank and Larry because I've read that. Oh, did you? Did you read yes. the, the latest version My of it? My favorite part is that it doesn't fade in on an alarm clock. <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, editing in, out a lot clock. of those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and somebody's like, wax it yeah, off. Of and course. like, it's the beginning of another crappy day, right? right. I, I'm, I'm with That's you. That's a good part for Peter Dinklage. <laughs> well, oh, the alarm goes off, he's version. all angry. In a bad mood. Yes. I want to work with Peter. Who doesn't? I tell you, my gosh. So we're looking. Yeah, we're looking for co-producers, financiers, actors, talent. We're um, a lot of good stuff. So it's it's a long, long road ahead. Also, I want to meet um, other writers out there who are maybe listening to this and feel connected to me or uh, my work or want to explore this more. I um, actually prefer directing and producing more, and so I'm always, always looking for great writers. Uh, great scripts to um, to explore. That's that's great to know. Okay, everybody, you heard that. Submit. Um, and then Toby, you've got a band, and uh, it's called Citizen, right? Yes, Citizen. Not Citizen. Nope. Citizen. It's a playoff of Citizen. It's sort of uh, how we can be surrounded by the masses and still find peace as an individual. So, and I also just was like, why don't I create a band name that I have to spell every time? <laughs> I'm sure Aerosmith had these problems. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and how can people find out more about you and your band? And you know, uh, Facebook is great because that's where we post our shows. You go to facebook.com and slash, and it's City Zen Band, C I T Y Z E N Band. And uh, you'll find out shows. We're playing the Viper Room on the 28th. Oh, my God. Which is going to be a great show. And it's... Of January. First 50 people are free. But so it, it January can only 28th. take 50 people, right? I mean, that's a really small venue. Oh, we'll fill it up. Okay. Trust me. Toby's great. You guys have got to go see the band. It's it's really... It's something 
I think really unique and I'm still trying to convince them to let me direct their music it's video it's gonna happen even my <laughs> deaf friends like the music because you know you can feel it well it's loud <laughs> it's really loud <laughs> well but it's really good we'll definitely be sending uh, Mr. Rock Solid over so Pat why don't you tell everybody about your music podcast uh, music podcast uh, hosted with uh, Gary Lucy uh, comedian Gary Lucy it's on uh, iTunes it's called Rock Solid um, I will be in Bloomington, Indiana on January 27th as part of a live Never Not Funny podcast. We'll be at the Comedy Attic. You can just Google Comedy Attic and find tickets there. And you can also go over to podcast.com and you can purchase a download of the 2012 Podcast-a-thon with proceeds to benefit Smile Train. You guys raised, well, with a matching donor... It was fifty five thousand, right? We raised fifty five thousand, and then a donor matched that, so we raised wow. one hundred and fourteen thousand dollars. Wow! For in Smile one Train. night, congratulations! In one, night. one night with Podcastathon, wow. and I was there. I got finally. I wasn't traveling, and I got to see Podcastathon live. Mm-hmm. Missed John Hamm again, but I got there in time to see some. You've great met guests. John Hamm before. I have. I have. I've seen him kiss you and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But um, but I, I got to see all kinds of live guests. And I have to tell you, this show, it, it streamed live that night. Now you can buy it as a download. Yeah, for the and digital, I mean the uh, video and the audio. The people who were on there. Oh, my God. Lorraine Newman. Uh, keep going. Oh, uh, Bob Saget. Uh, Kevin Nealon. Um, Zach Galifianakis. Zach Galifianakis. John Hamm. Um, Sarah Silverman. Yeah. It just goes on and on. Oh, are there there any people that I know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. There's there's the the thing for it. And everybody everybody was so funny and just brought it, and it was really spontaneous, too. So they say all kinds of inappropriate things. You totally have to check it out. It's 12 hours. It's 12 hours long. Right. Yeah, exactly. 12 hours to go to a good cause. Right. For once, you can space out in front of the the computer, and you can be like, honey, it's for a good cause. Um, If you want to show up to an on the page class in person here in Sherman Oaks. The rewrite class will be running at the end of Feb- February into late March. It is Saturdays, 1230 to 3.30. It will take your script through six different kinds of rewrite passes, and it's fine if you just have an outline. This will help you actually finish your script. Think of it more as a an advanced writing class. Hillary, you took it. Worked. It. it was It was br- I don't take writing classes, and then I had no choice, and I finished my first draft at the begin- at your first draft class. You said, if you do everything I tell you in six weeks, or at the end of six weeks, you'll have a first draft. I did, and then you said, take my rewrite class, and then you'll have a phenomenal script by the end of six weeks. I did, and so... I, I, I'm I'm kind of amazed for somebody who's been resisting and 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 having all these obstacles. So I would not be here without you. Thank you so much. Oh God. Okay, I'm gonna leave on that note because that's a good one, right? Right. That is yeah. a good one. So if you want to find out more about all this stuff, go to onthepage.tv. Also check out on the page on Facebook and uh, and yeah, I, I think that's about it. Yeah, we're gonna just we're gonna get out of here. So I'm gonna say thank you to Toby. Thank you. And it was a pleasure meeting you, too. Definitely. And thank you to Hillary. Good luck with your script. Thank you. Thank you to my hubby. Thank thank (laughs) you, wifey. (laughs) And everybody out there, have a good writing week. Jingle.